0: you are listening to UBC Waco podcast (laughs) are you recording yeah oh okay we can use that as just a scratch track for now well UBC I should tell you right here at the beginning I've been in one of those annoying seasons lately and by that I mean annoying to other people (laughs) uh I guess the best way to say it is that I've been, perhaps surprisingly, given certain local, national, and global conditions, rather bright-sidey over the last few months. And I know that there are few fates more frustrating than being made to listen to a bright-sider, especially if you yourself have been in a caviar season. By the way, when I was writing this, my computer tried to correct caviar to caviar, but <laughs> I think caviar season is like a whole other life era. <laughs> but anyway, the, the point is, consider yourself warned, optimism to follow. But first, I know some of our kids have left for camp recently, so con- congrats and condolences to any and all involved, each according to their need. Camp can be cool. Cool which is good for me because I've been to a lot of them over the years. Church camp, choir camp, cheerleading camp, and as an adult, tons of what essentially amount to writing camps. And this is not some sort of weird middle-aged flex. I mention all these camps because I have to admit to you that I was terrified the first time I ever went to one. And I know this probably comes as a shock to many of you all, I imagine probably you see me as a daredevilish, edgy, bad girl type, but the truth is, I am pretty not any of those things at all. Uh, Truthfully, as a child, I believe I probably had undiagnosed separation anxiety disorder, As the youngest of a family with four kids and only three bedrooms, it wasn't until I was a third grader that I ever even had the opportunity to be separated from anyone. And I spent uh, spent the first couple of years, and by couple, I mean three or four, in a crib or bassinet in my parents' room. then I shared a bedroom with my older sister, Melissa. And finally, when my brother Chris moved out to get his first apartment, I made my way into his former bedroom once littered with teenagery basketball posters, now draped in the fine lilacs and corals of my nine-year-old dreams. And it was great for a while. But a year or so into this new arrangement, when Melissa moved out into her own place, I found myself scurrying night after agonizing night down the hall through the tree-shadowed living room and kitchen until I arrived at the foot of my parents' bed where a pallet, that sad but sweet sign of parental surrender, (laughs) waited for me. I would try to tell myself each evening that it was going to be this time that I would sleep through the night. And then at two or three in the morning, I would wake certain that if I did not take matters into my own hands, I had only myself to blame for whatever harm was certain to befall me. Same thing happened at slumber parties, as you might imagine. I was the kind of kid calling to see if parents could come and pick me up, pleading with friends, moms and dads, trying feverishly to explain that I could not be away from my family in these creepiest of hours. It was unnatural. So just a side note, take heart, parents with anxious little and big ones. I could have never imagined that for most of my adult life I would live alone, delightfully so able eventually to self-soothe with the best of them. But still, when church camp became a possibility the summer before seventh grade, I worried that those old dead-of-night demons would follow me to the campgrounds where I would be hours away from my family and enduring any separation panic with an audience of unknown middle school peers. So as you can see, the first miracle of that church camp is that I agreed to go, As is often the case for me, some combination of extroversion and perceived piety overruled my risk aversion in that moment, and I'm so glad that it did. Because it was there at Highland Lakes Baptist Encampment sometime between June 19th and June 23rd that I first encountered the 139th Psalm. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And you may or may not believe me when I say, I was a different human after these words found their way into me. And I don't mean gingerly over time, though that probably happened too, and has certainly happened in other instances. But in this particular story, I am not speaking of an act of erosion or illusion. I am speaking of a healing, a mystical one, such that I moved differently in and throughout the world after this time. Uh, I left that camp loved and in love in a way and from a source that I had never experienced before. My language shifted, my posture, my confidence. I was somehow now more tethered and more free than I had ever been. Now I think it's right to be skeptical, maybe even suspicious of revival style professions of faith and miracles. Faith-based institutions have a history of being both incidentally and intentionally manipulative. We are right to try and peel back the layers of artifice affixed to the corporatization of God and church through coercive speeches and intoxicating chords crafted precisely to make one feel some certain way I know the preacher who preached that week is someone I probably no longer share any theological resonance with. I know Jamie Smith, the very cool woman leading worship, probably did that thing where we sang, I could sing of your love forever, until people started walking aisles and repenting just to make it all stop. (laughs) It is good to be open-eyed about all of that. But Because it is so easy to rewrite with the mind what was experienced with the body, it is also right and good to refuse to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I know, not in my brain, but in my bones, what occurred when I encountered Psalm 139 at Highland Lakes in the summer of 1994. Other people can make whatever assumptions they want about a girl who left home scared and came back secure. But like one of our other texts from Genesis today, that girl left Highland Lakes proclaiming, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and I still have to agree with her. I'm not a person who has experienced that many particularly mystical moments in my life, uh, at least not ones that I had noted and particularized in a certain way, but probably one of the next hair-raising ones happened to me on a fairly nondescript day in an alley in Central Asia where I had moved after college to follow the Lord. Way over there, not just on the other side of the trailer, but on the other side of the world from my parents, my family, and friends, I was beginning to worry to have a persistent worry that I might leave God behind one day we weren't having any trouble at the moment but I had a nagging that there would come a day when I would be forced to leave faith behind and this premonition really bothered me and took up a lot of space in my mind and body I think I might have talked about it here before It was like when you're dating someone and you love them, but you can see that there will be a fork in the road, a ways down, and at that point you will need to go your separate ways. It was somber, and it seemed all but certain to me. So I had done some pleading with God to show me how to stay with him, and I had anticipatorily apologized for my would-be betrayal. And for whatever reason, one day in this alley, an alley, by the way, I should say I had to walk through every time I left or returned from my flat, an alley that not infrequently had individuals sitting or sleeping in it who were evidently unwell, intoxicated, outside their right minds. In that alley, in the midst of my wondering, which I feared would progress to wandering, I was overcome with a knowing from the beyond, an assurance that, at the time, I understood as the omniscient, the all-knowing, reporting back to me that I could rest easy because I would not leave them. But what I now, almost 20 years later, realized was actually the omnipresent everything, everywhere, all at once, assuring me that I could not leave them. The peace I had infused into my body from another realm was a subconscious understanding that I did not follow God to camp or to Kyrgyzstan or anywhere else because you cannot follow someone who has never left you. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, O oh God? I was talking with a student recently who wondered if she has the endurance to be a social worker. She's already feeling a bit hopeless given the way that she sees institutions organizing and coordinating to systemically make life harder for some groups and easier for others. She's deflated by the bad actors in politics, suggesting that they have one motivation while demonstrating quite another in their speech, action, and inaction. I get it. I see a lot of this in my line of work. People wondering if anything is worth doing, if anything is working. People dropping into my office with wailing and gnashing of teeth, exclaiming that everything is going to hell and that nothing ever gets better. But it's just that Things do get better. I have gotten better, even as in some ways I have gotten worse. Two things can be true. I'm gonna make a big claim right now, and I wanna say I know I might be wrong about it. You know what, no. Let me remember my therapy. I'm gonna make a statement about myself rather than a proclamation about you or the entire world maybe. I feel, for me, that it's kind of disrespectful to be hopeless. Not primarily to God, who can certainly handle any amount of my often justified and plentiful unbelief, but disrespectful to my neighbors and my ancestors and myself. When I negate all that is and has been good, in the heavens and the depths, on the wings of the dawn and far across the sea, in the day and yes, once again in the night, I degrade all that infinitesimal and gargantuan growth and change and rest and joy that has been at times hard won and at other times altogether unforeseen moments of grace. I've been so thankful over the past few weeks to hear Kirk reminding us that there's a difference between skepticism and cynicism, and then Katie, along with John Green, helping us to muse about what hope can look like. I will add to that with the work of Cole Arthur Riley, who says, as we wait, we remind ourselves that darkness has the unique capacity to bear the divine. From the cosmos to the womb, the dark has always been a site of creativity and liberation. Are we in dark times right now? Perhaps. Then again, there has never been a different kind of time, has there? The good old days, whenever they were for you, were always dark for someone. And what's more, we have been misled, literarily, interpretively, to believe that darkness is a unique and non-preferred, if not unholy status. The text today reminds us that even the darkness is as light to God. I don't think this means that God turns the dark into the light, I think it means God is as comfortable at our side when we are lying in our beds, willing ourselves to stay put a moment longer, as they are when we are making a public profession of faith. Isn't it like God to give a child the courage to seek refuge when they are not yet ready to be alone? And isn't it also like God to travel with a young woman across the world, even with all of her mixed motivations, her patchy understanding, her confused and complicated courage? There is no darkness that can snuff out God's creative and liberating presence. In fact, Riley reminds us that our religion, in this religion, we put all of our hope in the sacred blackness of a womb. So I don't know how you are feeling today. Maybe you are on the precipice of a new adventure. Maybe you are stuck right where you are. Maybe you are stuck right where you are and someone you love is on the precipice of a new adventure. Perhaps you are excited or scared for the new season that UBC is entering or that you are entering by saying yes to UBC. Perhaps the world, your denomination, or Texas, or your body, or the idea you have understood to be God has failed you in some real and painful way. I pray that this psalm can offer you even a bit of what it has offered me over the course of my life. If not, that's okay, there are a lot of psalms. But maybe this week, as you prepare to depart or remain in moments of loneliness or the illusion of lovelessness, you can remind yourself that God's presence cannot be accidentally or intentionally lost. As a child, I thought I was alone. As a young adult, I thought God was with me but fleeable. And I've talked a lot at UBC about the many misconceptions and and false constructions of God that I have left behind, but God remains. Maybe the God that you cannot flee is mystical, a few or many hair-raising moments that keep you situated in hope. Maybe the God that you cannot flee is incarnational, the love of someone expected or unexpected tending to you with compassion and kisses and hair swept out of the way of your eyes. Maybe she is the breeze on the river that gets your body back in the rhythm that works best for you. Maybe he is laughter that keeps you moving one foot in front of the other. One way or another, God persists and God pervades. UBC, we are not alone. We are not unseen or unknown. God remains at work in broad daylight and under cover of night. So look around, listen, feel, because surely the presence of the Lord is in this place and the next and the next one after that. God, we thank you that you are now where you have always been, at our side across the world, throughout and beyond the universe, and as close as breath. At UBC, it is at this point in the service that we take a moment of silence. Maybe the Spirit will illuminate or correct something I have said today, or maybe the Spirit will begin to do something new.